1 Corinthians 3. I will be reading from the complete Jewish Bible, verses 9 through 14. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. Using the grace God gave me, I laid a foundation. But a skilled master builder and another man is building on it. But each one, let each one, be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Yeshua, the Messiah. Some will use gold, silver, or precious stones in building on this foundation, while others will use wood, grass, or straw. But each one's work will be shown for what it is, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If the work someone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive and a reward. Shabbat shalom. Still a bit surreal. You know, usually for the last couple of years, I, you hear the first read and then Chaim comes up and preaches. It's kind of a little, di- little different here. It's like it reminded me just a minute ago, um, I got a buddy that I work with back in Maryland, and he said, like his wife was out of town for a few days, and uh, he's like, had to call her, you know, he didn't know where the food was. He's like, honey, where's the food? Like in the house, you know. <laughs> He's like, it's usually on the table, you know, like, <laughs> so it's kind of, I feel like that, like, yeah, usually the food is on the table, it usually Chaim's up here, so it's a little bit, it's still a little bit surreal, but, no, wait a minute, that's, that's a nice verse, now I gotta come up here and say something. So, um, what I wanted to do is just kind of recap a little bit about what we've been talking about, some of you who've been here for the last, you know, month or so consistently, or some that have kind of just uh, heard one message, maybe not another, just want to kind of go through what we've been talking about and then kind of get us up to speed where we are, and then look into our passage for today, and then when, when Rabbi Chaim com, comes back next week, in addition to straightening out the last two weeks, he can pick up where, where he wants to pick up from. So, um, but in all seriousness, you know, we've been talking about, about building, okay, this theme of building. Is ever since back early in June, uh, Chaim, at our, at our town hall meeting, we talked about building and this theme of building, and, and not to get into, I mean, it's, it's a generic word, and not to get into all the necessary things of buildings, but we did talk about buildings. That's something that we want. And we talked about, you know, more people and, more, you know, all the things that come with that, more resources and, and opportunities to do ministry. So that's all part of building. But what I want you to think of building, let's just, let's kind of make it synonymous with the idea of, of growth, okay? And that's a more general term, and it's really a good term and a good thing to talk about when we talk about building and we talk about, when we look at it in terms of growth, because, um, the only alternatives to growth, really, if you're not, if there's no growth that's happening, and however you want to look at that, you've either got stagnation or you have death. So I don't, I don't feel too sheepish talking about growth and building. I think it's a fine topic to talk about, and we're going to talk about it, and we're going to see here as we get into our, our verse that really where growth comes from. So it's really a, a fine concept to talk about. Um, there might be an opportunity to talk about stagnation and death, but we're not necessarily going to talk about that today. So we've been talking about growth, and, and Chaim uh, f- preached a message a while back from the book of Haggai, chapter 1. For those of you who, who, remember, who were here might remember that. That, uh, that chapter deals with the prophet Haggai speaking about um, 
basically people that had been neglecting the building of the Lord's house in favor of their own house. He said, you know, the Lord's house is in ruins, and you're living in paneled houses. And he said, you're, you're going around, and you're, you're making money, but you're putting it in pockets with holes. And so we talked about the importance of, of when you're building that you put the Lord first. And there was a brother here last week, and I was actually going to ask him to, to share today. And uh, I won't share his name, but when he's here, maybe he can share with you. He told me a real quick thing. Uh, I hadn't seen him for several weeks um, and s- except for last week. And he shared with me real quickly after service. He said, you know, I hadn't been here for a while. I said, I had got this job, and it was going great, and everything was going wonderful, and uh, I, lost my, I lost my job. And he said, I just realized, hit me like a ton of bricks, especially after coming today. <coughs> I realized that I had just completely forgot about the Lord. He said, and then I lost my job. And he really thought there was a connection there. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to do that again. He said, the next time I get a job, I'm going to put God first. So that's kind of the idea that the Chaim spoke about in Haggai 1 and this, the same thing this, this brother shared with me. So anyways, I wanted to share that interpretation with you. So then, so that's what Chaim talked about, this Haggai 1 idea. Um, and then we, uh, before Chaim left town, we got together and he, he threw, kind of threw out some verses, uh, laid out some, some scriptures, and he said, these are some things that are kind of been brewing, and I want you to think about them and pray about them, some, some verses we might be able to talk about in this sort of season where he felt like we need to talk about this idea of building and this idea of growth. And so one of those verses was from, uh, from First Chronicles. If you remember last week, we, we uh, talked about from First Chronicles chapter 28, and uh, you know, something that I'm sure you, everyone preaches on every week in, in, in you know, congregations all over the, the city, you know, First Chronicles. Uh, but it's a section of scripture where David is giving instructions to Solomon about building the temple, and he gives him all these these unbelievable details. I mean, we heard some of them here today, some of these allusions to the same things as gold and silver and rubies and these bowls and that bowls. And he says, look, be strong and of good courage. And we talked about the idea of what it takes to serve the Lord when you're growing, when you're building something. As Solomon was building the temple, we saw that the three things Solomon needed. Uh, does anyone want to venture what those were? I won't feel offended if you don't remember what they were. The three things, you know, what it takes to serve the Lord. Anyone? Courage, courage is one of them, yeah. Anyone else? It's just, I just, what's that? Knowledge. You say college? College knowledge? No, you said knowledge. Knowledge is the one. Pure heart. Pure heart, that's right. There are three main things we're knowing God. In order to serve God, we need to know God. We need to know God from an intellectual level, meaning know why you believe this is the Bible. Know why you believe there is a God. You know, know why you believe certain things about Yeshua and so forth. You know, know these things. These are, we talked about these being apologetics. We, we, we read in the scripture about being able to give a defense for the faith that's in you. This, this is the word is apologia, apologetics, where we get that, that word from. So that was one thing, knowing God with your heart, intellectually, I mean your mind intellectually, and then also knowing God from a traditional standpoint, the importance we said of, of, I sort of termed it as the negative, the T word, you know, tradition. But there is an importance in there. We read the, the, the scriptures and we see that Yeshua and other people did things that were tradition, things that they did at the Passover, the Last Supper, that weren't necessarily part of the Exodus story. So clearly there's things that are done according to tradition. When Paul went to the synagogue and so forth, these things. So knowing God in those two ways, with your mind and with your, with, by way of tradition. Uh, and then also serving God. We're, we serve God by serving him with a, a heart of shalom, if you remember that, a, a, heart, a full heart, a complete heart, and also serving God with the desire and the delight of your entire being. Not just a willing mind, a willingness, but the delight, in, that it should be a delight and a desire to serve the Lord. So knowing him, serving him in that way, and then doing it with courage. So those are the three, three things we talked about last week in terms of what it takes to serve the Lord. Um, and so continuing on that, this week actually the, the, the verses that we had talked about, uh, Chaim and I had spoke about speaking on, were, were from 1 Corinthians here. And really we just read a little snippet from 1 Corinthians 3, um, but the big eye, bigger sort of section here is really the first four chapters of Corinthians is what's being dealt with in this little section here, uh, here in Corinthians. And when I started looking at this last week, it kind of 
you know, I, 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 I fell into that trap that, I, that I've fallen in, that I used to fall into a lot more where I would try to, I know we're talking about building and we're talking about growth. And so how can I make this scripture talk about building and growth? You know, how do I sort of force fit what I want to say and sort of use the scripture to back up what it is that Hyman and I want to say? And that really wasn't happening. As I was reading, and actually even on Wednesday, I got sick. I'm not saying it's because of this. I don't know. I just was sort of out for one whole day. But the, the more I, I thought about it, I, thought, I, I sort of stopped myself in, from going down that road and said, let me just see what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 3. This is a, a verse, this is some verses that Hyman had chosen. I'm going to look into them to see what's there and tell you guys what I think is there. And I think hopefully as we go through it, you'll see that, that uh, there's, there's some very applicable things to building and this building process and this idea of growth. Uh, versus the stagnation or death. Um, first Corinthians, just a little, little bit of background about it. We've got two, two books of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. And when you read these books, these, you can tell these are part of a, a larger story. And these are the two books that we have record of. But there are other writings that kind of involve the, the Corinthian believers and the Corinthian congregation. Um, so you can sort of fill in the pieces around that. Like, for example, if you look at, at First Corinthians 7, verse 1, I'll just read it to you. Paul, Paul is saying, uh, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then he talks about these matters about which they wrote, and then he answers their questions. Well, we don't have those matters about which they wrote, but we kind of infer from there that there's some other letters out there that, that were written, but we don't have them. We have First and Second Corinthians. We, excuse me, we know that, that Paul you know, founded this congregation and so forth. So this beginning, uh, really these first four chapters of First Corinthians are a response to things that Paul had heard about that were written to him and things that we don't necessarily have all the details on, but we can kind of piece it together, excuse me, based on what, what we have here in 1 Corinthians. In this section, uh, if, if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels, uh, quarrels among you. He says, My brothers and sisters, what I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas. I belong to Messiah. This is kind of the issue that Paul is dealing with here that, that was reported to him. And this is the, the, the catch word for this um, is factions. You know, people were, were, were exalting other people or other things one over the other. And that was the issue that, was, that Paul was dealing with and clearly saw it as a, as a hindrance to growth in many ways, as we'll see. Um, you know, I, when, I, when I was in a lot of my classes, we would do these... Um, you know, different teachers would do it different ways, and a lot of times the first day of class, we'd go around the class and, you know, say your name, and, you know, okay, see, what's your favorite fruit? You know, that kind of stuff, and give your, give your name and your major, or whatever it is. But those, sort of the basic information was, you know, where are you from, and what are you studying, and that kind of thing. And inevitably, just about every class, I mean, you're in there with, with people from all over the place, a lot of people from Texas, you know, and California, it seemed like. Um, but just about every time, it'd be something like, yeah, I'm so-and-so, and I'm from, I'm from Texas, and... You might say, you know, go Cowboys or go A&M or something like that, some kind of, you know, getting behind their sports team is what they were doing. And then inevitably you'd hear someone else shout from across the room, oh, you know, Broncos or whatever, and it is kind of a little fun back and forth. But on, on one level, that's kind of that's what's going on there, you know. People are sort of showing allegiance to one team over another team, and it seems pretty innocuous. I had a friend that, uh, he's still in school right now, he went to the University of Virginia, and I went to Virginia Tech, and those are big rivals, so it's always, I mean, like, we can't say hi to each other without making some comment about, you know, the, the deficient nature of his being because he went to UVA or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it just happens, you know, and he does it back to me, and it's, it's all fun and games. But is it? Is it all fun and games? Let's take that same example. You know, you, you, I'm not a NASCAR fan, but, I mean, if you're a NASCAR fan, you know what NASCAR is? 
the, you know, the, the U.S. style racing, car, uh, you know, stock car racing. Well, I mean, you know, they get pretty excited at those races. There's Chevy, there's Ford, there's Pontiac, and maybe you're with Chevy and you got a Ford, you saw the guy's got a Ford head on, it's a big deal. Uh, I was rereading an article yesterday, uh, I think it was back in 2011, was it the, um, the, uh, the, Do the Dodgers fan? No, it was, it was a Do the, Dodger, the Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles beat up a Giants fan outside after the World Series. They, they beat him up. He made it home, fell into a coma the next day, went to the hospital for an extended period of time, finally went home, and he did pass away. I mean, did they know the guy? Did they not? No, he was, he was, he was representing another team, factions. And you might say, well, okay, that's, you know, we see that there. We see that in soccer stadiums in Latin America. I mean, it's a pretty serious deal. It goes beyond just a little, <laughs> look at the Jorge's. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big deal. It's all this idea of factions, you know, and Paul, this is what Paul's addressing here. And, and maybe we say, well, that's sports and that's crazy. And yeah, people are nuts and they paint themselves colors and I would never do that, you know. But my question is that, uh, does that ever happen in Christian culture, spiritual culture? All the time? <laughs> do certain type of churches and denominations ever elevate their leaders uh, to inappropriate levels nowadays? Does it taint their understanding of the Bible, do you think? Um, we have a couple of seminary students, seminary professors in this room, and I guarantee they could give testimonies, many testimonies of people that come into to school with certain ideas, and they're not necessarily... Now, we're all working to figure out what the Bible means in certain places and so forth, and we look at it, but sometimes we realize some things that we're holding on to dearly really aren't scriptures or our deep convictions, but it's, it's what our pastor taught us or what our rabbi said, you know? And those are the things that really, really uh, end up uniting us in opposition sometimes to one another. I, as I was looking at this, I saw there in, the, in the library, I think it was Thursday, there was a guy sitting in the little cubicle next to me, and he had a shirt on, and it said, uh, on the back of it, it said, Arminianism. I chose to wear this T-shirt, you know? And so, oh, it's kind of funny, you know? And for those of you who don't know, that's, that's an age-old debate, Arminianism and Calvinism. Do we have the free will to choose to accept the Lord, or do we not, and is it all? But, I mean, it's kind of a little innocuous, but no, it's, it's serious business. So you see serious fights uh, break out about this kind of stuff. Um, the pastor I had back in Maryland, a Messianic rabbi, he, he, he had this little line that he would, he would say with Jewish people when he was witnessing to Jewish people, sort of just breaking the ice with them. And he actually said this to some of my relatives at our, at our wedding when we got married, some of my Jewish relatives. And he asked them, you know, um, let me ask you a question, uh, Cindy. He said, he said, what would you do if you read something in, in your Hebrew Bible that was in opposition with what your rabbi said? What if I could, you know, what if you saw something and you, you think it says this, but your rabbi says it means this? That was his question, his opening question, because he realizes that a lot, of our, a lot of our thoughts and a lot of our beliefs sometimes are linked to people, and that's sort of the unifying factor against other people. And we're these people, we don't associate with those people, and we're those people, and we don't associate with those people. And those are incorrect, incorrect assumptions or incorrect things. And I'm spending a lot of time on that because I think it's very important, and I think in a lot of ways we do that, whether it's in our with our, our theological beliefs or whether it's with just things in general. You know, you're, you're Ford over your, over your Toyota or vice versa, and things can, can definitely get out of hand there. Now, you might be asking, as I was asking myself, as I was sort of preparing this, I thought, am I, am I saying this is happening at, at Yeshua Tzion? <laughs> is this happening here? Pause. Um, not that I know of. You know, maybe you know something I don't know, but that's not why I'm saying it. However, I will say this. I think it's important that we're a Messianic congregation. It's important to bring this up because um, I have a, a friend who's a Messianic rabbi out in Seattle, Washington, and he had this phrase that I still remember. He used to say that Messianic Judaism is the last stop on the religion train. 
And I thought Elodie would like that when I said yes. <laughs> so he said, Messianic Judaism is often the last stop on the religion train. Let me explain what, what, what he means by that. And this, this is the case. Is sometimes, you know, people will, they've all come, we come from all kinds of backgrounds in here. We've got, you know, Catholic or Methodist or so forth. And a lot of times I would, I would greet and meet people that would come and visit. And they, you know, what brought you here, you know? I don't say, oh, are you Jewish? Or what are you doing here? Who, well, why in the world are you here? You know, I want to know. I kind of want to just find out what, what pe- where people are coming from. And a lot of times I would hear things like, well, you know, I was going down the, the street to the Methodist church here, and they were just dead. So I checked out the Catholic church over here, and, well, they were good, but the too many, you know, whatever. They had the, you had to pray to the Pope. And then I went to this, this congregation over here, the, 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 you know, the um, Pentecostals. They were just weird, or whatever the case may be. And they said, so I finally, I read, in, I read in the book of Acts or somewhere, and I decided that Messianic Judaism is the way to go, and this is the right way, and we, we say Yeshua or whatever it is. And so they, they come here because everybody else is doing it wrong. And I'm very quick to point out, and, and, and I don't mean to point fingers again. I don't know anything that, that's going on here necessarily, but I, these are just things I've experienced over my, my short you know, uh, decade or so in Messianic, within Messianic Jewish circles that a lot of times you know, people uh, you know, think we exist because everyone else does it wrong. And I'm here to tell you, we do not exist because everyone else does it wrong. Okay, And if that's why you're here, we need to, we need to work through that. And if you're, also, if you're looking for that perfect place that does it right, you're not going to find it here. And you're probably not going to find it anywhere you are, to be quite blunt about it. Meaning, you know, the, the perfect congregation has you. So most likely, you know, <laughs> you think it. But if you're there, you're imperfect, and so you, you get the point. But my point is, is that if you're, if you're simply, you know, desperately seeking one place that does everything right, then there's just simply not going to be enough stops on the train for you, quite honestly. So, again, speaking to myself for some, sometimes, because we, we all sort of, we, our tendency is to let, to exalt things and organizations and, uh, above people above God. And I want to I tell you, again, all sort of based on Paul's admonition here about factions, I think it all applies, is that people will always, always let you down, okay? There are some sureties in this life, right? One of them is, uh, for those who don't know, no matter what you might think, you're going to pay taxes, okay? One day, 100%, you're going to die. Now, after death, you're going to pay taxes, Someone's going to pay it on your behalf, most likely. And maybe some bills, some lingering bills. Those are some surety, kind of unchangeable kind of things, right? This is also one of those unchangeables also, is that people will always let you down. And I don't say this to be pessimistic or negative. I don't say it to encourage distrust or to kind of uh, advocate becoming a lone ranger in that case. Well, if no one does it right, I'll at least take the one person that doesn't do it right and be by myself. I don't say it for any of those reasons. But simply to point out that, as Paul does, how jealousy and quarreling can be the result of inappropriate loyalty given to other human beings that are supposed to be working for the same purpose. That's what Paul talks about here. He talks about that, you know, these people you're putting one over the other, we're just servants working for the same thing, okay? So we need to understand Paul's teaching here on the importance of understanding humanity's overall role in this whole process, this whole plan of growth. Because God's, uh, God's a God of the living. He's not a God of the dead or the stagnating, right? So we need to understand his, his, uh, the, the humanity's part, his teaching about humanity's part. And he says in verses 5 through 9, I'm going to read a little bit inside and outside of where Paul read as well. He uh, says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. 
You are God's field, God's building. Is anyone in here a gardener? Anyone, anyone garden? For real? Yeah, they're excited. Now, and, and I, uh, I like the idea of gardening. We actually would like to garden uh, a little more extensively. We did have a little plot of land over at the seminary. They have a community garden, so we did get to garden last year. And it was pretty cool. I mean, we, I got in there, you know, tilled the ground up and put some uh, fertilizer. We know what that is, right? You know, fertilizer uh, in, the, in the ground and tilled it over, uh, amended the soil. All this stuff was kind of cool, and then planted things and put some fence around there and, and then watered it and uh, pulled out weeds and watered it. And I didn't speak or sing to it. Do you speak or sing? You seem, I thought maybe you might be a speaker or sing. That's fine. We, just, we didn't speak or sing. But we did all that, and after a while, guess what happened? Well, it did grow. But stuff actually came out of the ground, too. Stuff grew. I mean, we had some strawberries. We had some kale. We had some spinach. My, my neighbor's little plot, they had some peas. I mean, pea pods. A pod of, you know, pea pod. And forgive my, you know, excitement over this. You know, p- things with peas in it that I could eat. And also, more peas to put in the ground to grow more peas. I mean, it's just amazing, you know? Let's, let's kind of rewind a second and look, at, look, look back at what happened there. For those of you who do garden, you know, think in your mind, how do you do it? You know, you got your garden set up, right? Looks great. You've cultivated wonderfully. You've watered diligently. You've weeded immaculately. But don't forget, what is it that you have that came out of the ground that you didn't first receive? Even that pea that I had to put in the ground, where'd that pea come, pea come from, you know? The fact is, those, those seeds and those things, they can be sitting up, uh, you can take them fresh like that, or sometimes they're sitting like in a pouch. They've been on a shelf for months, a year, whatever, you put them in the ground and these things come up. Who told them to do that? Who's taking the, the credit for that growth? Who told that pea to be a pea when it was sitting on the shelf for two years or sitting in your shed for, for two years, you know? It's just amazing. And I think, you know, the, the admonition here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 3 is the same deal, you know? It's the same thing that, that we're, uh, I mean, the answer to the question is when I, I said, who, you know, who is the one that we have to give credit for that? The Shabbat school answer is, God, yeah, the Lord, he's the one. <laughs> but the admonition is that we humans have a very limited role, don't we, in this growth process. We, we serve, we work diligently, we do what we have to, but ultimately, what, what, what is it that we have not received from God? Paul talks about it later on in this chapter as well. Um, this all goes to show that we shouldn't puff someone up or something up in favor of another. And he concludes that if you do that, if you want to boast about anything, if there's anything you want to boast about, and again, I, we're saying this all because I don't know what's going to happen at CYT. I know CYT's been around for you know, over two decades. I believe God is doing work here. We mentioned that last week. I mean, I mentioned that last week. That was my opinion, but I got many amens from people. But as we grow, we've got to remember some foundational things. That what, you know, what is it we're going to boast in? What is it that we've really done? We've, we, we've done nothing other than some of the work, and, and we will talk about the rewards for that. But ultimately, it's God that's given the growth. And there's nothing, if we want to boast about something, we need to boast about what we've received from God, not about what we've done. And, and we don't want to deny the importance of individual faithfulness in industry. And here it says that each person will receive wages according to their labor. You know, we do that quite a bit. We talk about the day-to-day things that happen. We talk about, we give the Baruch Hashems, you know, bl- praise the name, bless the Lord for what's, what's gone on. Um, we, need that, we need to do that for the things that are happening in our congregation. But in terms of the great task at hand, which is to make things grow and to bring them to harvest, it's important to get the big picture straight is that it's God's deal. We see here is in verse, um, is verse 9. It says, we're God's servants working together. You are God's field and God's building. And there's a very, uh, this is very important to understand that we're God's fellow worker. And it's not this idea that we've got our arm around God, you know, he's my buddy, we're working together, you know. 
You see it on the back of the semi-trucks, you know, driving with Jesus, you know, making all the miles, making all the lights, and all that kind of stuff, making good time. He's my co-pilot. It's not this idea of we're walking alongside. There were co-workers, you know. In the original language here, it's very, it's, it's very emphatically put. You've got God listed right up front. In Greek, they put things up front to make, make it emphasize it, and it's there up front each time, God, God, God. And that little apostrophe S in your Bible, don't miss that. That's basically saying that you are God's. You're, you're laborers, but you're God's laborers, okay? And here's his field and so forth. So it's very important that we realize that it's not about us. It's about whose we are. Amen. So moving on, we talk about in this growth process the importance of, uh, of not exalting things or people above other things, not getting so behind something that we're going to exalt that thing above God and not recognize that it's really God that gives the growth, and that's where the real boasting should come in, if at all. The second part of, this, of these, these short verses that we're going to look at talk about a foundation. Paul talks about here about building on this foundation. And if you were here last week, you remember some photographs I showed of, uh, of, a, uh, of an addition that we built on our house. We had a little townhouse, and they pulled the thing off and built an addition, so we had a little extra room and, the, and then a deck off of that. And once it was all done, you know, people would come over, and they'd see it. Some people that knew the neighborhood who knew, oh, this is not original, is it? And they'd, oh, let me see this. They'd walk out. Oh, this is neat. This kind of leads right into the, this room, and the floor kind of matches up. That's kind of cool. I love what you did with the hardwood floor here. This is neat. And yeah, I like the windows out here, and you got the deck. Oh, I like these little built-in shelves here. Those are kind of cool. And uh, Oh, I see that. Is that a chalkboard you have for your kids? You painted chalk there, and they can just draw on the, on the, on the, on the uh, closet door. That's kind of cool. And I see you put the heating and cooling in. You got these overhead lights. This is great. Not once did anybody say, man, let me go outside. Let me see this continuous footer foundation you got here. And they get down, they, they see that, <laughs> that continual concrete footer that I showed you the pictures of, that I showed that week after week these guys dug and dug. And this is not like a backhoe didn't come in and scoop this out in 10 minutes. There were about five or six guys with shovels, you know, metal things with point on the end with a big wooden handle. And they came in and, you know, did this thing and, you know, jump on it and up like this and dug down beyond the frost line, whatever that is. You probably noticed you were 42 inches with the different places. I mean, it's, you ever dug a, try to dig a two-foot hole square, you know, it becomes like a point two feet will squ- you know, square out the sides and, and do that for, you know, 10 feet by 12 feet by 10 feet. They did it by hand, and then they came in, there was a cement mixer out on the street. We lived about two houses in on a row of townhouses. About five or six guys for about 45 minutes took wheelbarrows, and they walked, they walked out of our backyard, they walked down a 20-foot, you know, uh, alleyway to a cement mixer, filled up a wheelbarrow full of cement, turned around, Got out of the way of the next guy. Went back down, down the thing. Did this for like 45 minutes straight. Went over a couple two-by-sixes to the trench. <laughs> dropped it in there, you know. 45 minutes of that. Um, some of the guys that were involved in that process didn't even stick around for all that framing and drywalling and painting and flooring and, you know, all that kind of flashy stuff that everyone talked about. But they all had a part in the building process. And none of them, I mean, I could, well, how could I praise the guy that did the nice drywall work over those guys that, that hoofed that concrete for 45 minutes to build the foundation. It's very important. So a foundation is a very important thing. Um, not everyone thinks that way. Not everyone thinks, well, you know, we just sort of, let's just kind of get to the exciting stuff. I want to paint, you know. Like I talk about the room. You know, the room's there. Let's, when are we going to get a room? The foundation, real exciting. Continuous footer, great. Well, I could put some, like, well, only, it's only a 10-foot span. Let me just put it on concrete blocks. You could, you could do it that way, I suppose. But that's not like that nice concrete continuous footer that's going to be there forever. There's a place, anyone heard of the Rana Garment Factory, Pakistan? About a couple months ago, this guy 
had a garment factory and this big controversy he was making for it, and, and, uh, and it collapsed. And they decided it collapsed, I mean, for a couple reasons, and it's always, you know, you know, he said, she said, but the bottom line is the foundation was a real issue. They, they built it on a swamp. And it's not that you can't necessarily build on a swamp. You can build on a swamp, but he, he, but he drained the swamp and he filled it with concrete. Didn't quite do it right. Built the building higher than he should have, right? And uh, what it was designed for, all the, the vibrating machines and the, the amount of traffic and the kind of work that was being done in there, that, that foundation was just not sufficient. And we read here, and Paul's talking about, you know, what's going to happen when the fire comes and testing comes and, you know, what's going to stand and what's not going to stand and some are going to suffer loss and humiliation or ruin. Well, the failure here at this Rana collapse was well beyond loss and humiliation or ruin. It was deadly. And it caused the owner of the factory to flee for his life. I mean, the guy went flee for his life. It was all very short-sighted. So foundation is very important. So let's talk about it <laughs> for a second. Foundation is very important. In verse 11, Paul says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Messiah Yeshua. So I want to talk about it. It seems like Paul's talking about kind of a main thing here. You know, the main thing is you've got to have the foundation right. And I said the main thing is the foundation. And I, I hesitate when I start talking about, like, the main thing, the one thing. Um, you know, inevitably I'd read, I'd read books or you hear, I've heard sermons before where one, one preacher will get up and say, you know, us as a congregation, we need to be preaching about the, you know, if, if we're not preaching about the power of God, well, we're not, we're, well, we're just wasting our time here. And then someone comes behind that person and says, well, if we're not preaching about the all-powerful God, the all-powerful, not just the powerful God, but the all-powerful, that's the main thing. Someone else says, well, no, 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 it's the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God. If you're not preaching about that, that's the main thing. <laughs> so you're all missing it because if you're not preaching about the sovereignty of God, that's it, period. Well, at, at the risk of someone coming behind me and saying, oh, I'm missing it here, I think Paul is talking about a very main thing, and he's talking about the main thing of the foundation and how important the foundation is. And he says that the foundation that is laid is, is Messiah Yeshua. And uh, if, if, you, if you end up reading the first several, it's funny, I was listening to the audio of this uh, text being read. I have an audio Bible, too, and I just listened as I was walking around earlier uh, last week. And I noticed at the beginning, when you're, when you're in chapter 1 there, I mean, the times he says Messiah, 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 it's, it's like, I didn't count them, but it's just like, it seemed like every other sentence was, you know, Paul called to be an apostle of the Messiah, the church of God in Corinth, you know, those who are sanctified in Messiah. I mean, like, over and over, Messiah. It pretty seems to be a foundational issue that he wants to get across. And Paul says, when, when he says the Messiah, um, well, I'll get back to that in a minute. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, the reason I'm hammering on this so much, and I'm going to kind of finish out the message with this idea of the foundation, again, goes back to sort of the fact that we're in a Messianic congregation. Back at the congregation I was at in Maryland, there was always this sort of underlying discussion, I will not really call it a debate because it wasn't really a front and center thing, but it was always a sort of discussion uh, about our name, the name of the congregation. We were XYZ Messianic Congregation. There were those who were fine with that. There were those who said we need to be XYZ Messianic Jewish Congregation. So we're arguing about should we be Messianic, should we be Messianic Jewish? We, I won't bore you with all the, the details and the arguments back and forth about should we be Messianic Jewish, should we be Messianic? Well, I realized I kind of put that together with something that Chaim always says. The one thing that's the same both here at CYT and there where I was is Messianic was in there in both cases. And Chaim has often said on many occasions that as a Messianic congregation, he has regularly said that the Messiah should be front and center. And that if we're not careful, many other things can become front and center. This is the foundation that Paul's talking about, the Messiah. And I think it's important that as a Messianic congregation, 
we do, as Chaim has said, that make sure that we always have the Messiah front and center. And again, if we're not careful, other things become front and center. We might get very excited about the style of worship. You see that a lot, the vernacular that we use. You know, some people argue that we, it's just the words we use are so important. We must say this word over that word, and if we don't, we're missing it. We can get very... Um, other things can be confront, become front and center, like our traditional observances of the feast days and the holy days, our Torah service. You know, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but we must be sure that they're always subsequent to the Messiah. And that can be, main, that can be difficult to m- uh, maintain as we grow, because we all have preferences. We all have things we like. And this goes back to, I prefer Apollos, I prefer Cephas, I prefer Paul, I prefer Messiah. We all have our personal preferences, and it's, we need to kind of take that introspection to realize when we are when we bristle about something or something bothers us, is this something that's Messiah-centered or is this something that's, you know, Dave Katz-centered or whoever, you know, insert your name here. Uh, is it something that's just a preference for you or is it something that's, that's foundational? Because remember, the foundation is what's very important. Because you know, some, as we grow, you know, some of us like, uh, really like the Hebrew and the Torah service. Some of us really like Shabbat school, how it's run and our annual Passover. All these are very important things. But again, as we build, let us be aware and jealously guard our foundation, which is the Messiah. Um, and going back uh, to the factions conversation earlier, you might think, is this really an issue? I mean, and maybe, uh, maybe everybody here is just like, yes, we know it's an issue. Is this really an issue? I mean, in Messianic Jewish congregations, and I'm sure in, in other congregations as well all over, everyone's got their little pet things and things that become issues. Um, the, uh, the Chosen People Ministries has hosted uh, the Borough Park Symposium. Chaim and I and Dr. Dallaire went this past year and several years before that they had one. And they have a topic. One of the themes one year was um, the deity of Yeshua, right? Was Jesus God? Was he man? Was he demigod? Was he, you know, what, what was the deal there, right? Now, this is not, if you're a student of, of, of church history, this is not a new argument. These are things people have, have been killed over for years, been ostracized, persecuted for, for many, many years. Um, so it can be a big point of contention, especially in Messianic Jewish congregations. The Borough Park Symposium, the, the papers that were written on that are still online. Uh, BoroughParkSymposium.net, I believe it's what it's called. But you can still read them there because there are people that talk, you know, in, in Judaism also. You'd be surprised. You read some of Michael Brown's books. There are Jewish people that have no problem with, with Jesus. Sure. You not even have a problem with him being the Messiah. There's a Messiah in every age. If we're good enough, Messiah comes. They were good. He's a good, he's a good Messiah. He wasn't God. He wasn't the Messiah. And then you've got others, even Messianic Judaism, that will say, yes, you know, we must put uh, preference to the Father, you know, not to the Son, the subservient, all these kind of things. And these, these can be some real issues about when we say, because I think when I was reading this, I thought, well, you know, Messiah is the foundation, and Messiah is the foundation. Well, that's a loaded thing. Okay, we need to talk about the Trinity. We need to talk about the Messiah. What is the Messiah? Who was the, who was the Messiah? Was he human? Was he man? Was he half human, half man? Was he Messiah but not God? Was he Messiah but... God, but then, you know, man that had God on him and then get let, all these kind of crazy thoughts, I say crazy, all these other alternative views. Um, so let's be clear, when Paul talks about the Messiah, one thing he is saying is he's saying Messiah crucified. That's his point. His whole point in dealing with this contention, you read earlier on in chapter one, he's like, look, you guys shouldn't be arguing and putting one over the other, one person over the other, because the, the problem here is that I didn't try to come to you to be like some superhero where you would look to me as some great teacher. In fact, I came preaching one thing. I didn't want to be all flashy and use big words and seminary terms. I just wanted to preach one thing, and that's Messiah and him crucified. That was his sort of, his baseline argument as to why he was even dealing with this issue. So when Paul says the Messiah, and when Paul says the Messiah must be our foundation, and when I 
tell you that Paul says Messiah should be our foundation as we seek to grow uh, our congregation. What Paul is saying is Messiah crucified. And what I'm going to give you now is from a standpoint of congregation, Yeshua Tzion. For those of you who have been through membership, or those of you who haven't been through membership, or those of you who don't remember from membership, or those of you who want to go to yeshuatzion.org and read our statement of faith, I'm going to rehearse it for you. Yes, this is a statement of faith. It's a doctrine of man, if you will, but it's based on scriptures. There's a lot of scriptures behind this. I won't go into this, all these things, but if this is something that, that you struggle with, and honestly, I, I hope you do. These are not easy concepts. Father, you know, Father, Son, Ruach HaKodesh, these kind of things, and how is Yeshua a man, how is he God? But this is our statement, and this is our foundation we're talking about. And as we grow, if we don't have the foundation set, we might be like a garment factory collapse, okay? So Paul says the foundation must be Messiah, Messiah crucified. It's not Yeshua, a good man, a prophet, a wise teacher, a demigod. No, our foundation, as stated in our articles of faith, are we believe in the deity and humanity of Yeshua the Messiah, in his virgin birth, in his sinless life, in his miracles, in his vicarious atoning death, in his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and in his personal return in power to establish his kingdom. Again, a lot of things there. Thing, if I read this, you know, seven years ago, I'd have had no idea what you're talking about, quite honestly. It wasn't until I had to dig in and write some papers about the virgin birth. You know, what is it about? What did, why, why do we say virgin birth? And how is a prophecy in Isaiah somehow relevant to, to something that happened 500 years later? And is that really what that says? And how is God a man? These are tough questions. Don't be ashamed to ask them or afraid to ask them. They're not easy. Uh, like I said, we have this statement on our website, but in terms of sort of the scriptures and things that go back those things up, if you have some concerns about that, you know, please don't hesitate to ask. Because, again, we're talking about the foundation. We're talking about a foundation that we're building on here, okay? And so these are important things to, to wrestle with. And it doesn't mean that we're, we're going to completely, you know, settle them all. There are some, there's some area of mystery that, that get, that where, where God comes in, and it's okay to, to, uh, to admit that. So, verse 14 talks about building this foundation and what's being built on this foundation. So what is it that we're trying to build upon the foundation? We're building a nonprofit organization called Congregation Yeshuatzion, LLC, or Inc. Are we, are we building upon this foundation a messianic congregation that will b live beyond us as a legacy? Well, maybe. Maybe so. I don't think it's a bad idea, but only in the sense that each of these type endeavors, these, these type of building endeavors, really what we're building and developing are other builders. So to the extent that we're building other builders, and I'll get into that a little more, that's what we're building here. You know, the building materials that are spoken of here, a lot of people, um, I, re I read some, some books this week, and a lot of people really want to get into, what's the gold, what's the silver, what's the this, and what does that represent and symbolize, and a lot of symbolism stuff. And I kind of like what Chaim often says. He kind of parked where Scripture parks, and he said the things that are really obvious in Scripture, you, you don't see much written on that, but the things that are questionable, because that's where people dive in and write volumes of books and explain, oh, the, the, the rubies are this, and the emeralds are this, and the stones are this, and all this kind of stuff. Um, I think in sort of a big picture, it's pretty, pretty clear. I'd say it's pretty clear that uh, we're talking about durability and, and, and non-durability, for one thing. Things that are going to last and things that aren't going to last. Um, we can argue, you know, is gold going to be burned up and melted? Yeah, it's still gold. So, I mean, there's certainly a durability to it. Um, but I think that the building materials do speak of beyond endurance and non-endurance. I think they're simply an allusion to Solomon's temple. And I say that because we read about that last week. Remember all the stuff, the gold and the silver and the jewels and the wonderful stones you had to pronounce there, <laughs> what they were. But 
I mean, that seems to fit more, more with what's going on as well as what Paul, Paul's own interpretation here where he goes on further, which we didn't read to talk about that we're the temple of God. And so that kind of fits with this idea that we're really ultimately uh, building people and that the congregation and building the congregation is never about buildings, but it's about people. The buildings and the field, those are, those are used as imagery. But what's behind those images are human beings, you and me. So those are, the, those are the things that ultimately are enduring. Those are the things that we're building that we'll, we really want to endure beyond the legacy of, of a congregation in edifice that might be here in 20 years, which would be wonderful. Ideally, the legacy and the things to boast about are the people that are left behind, meaning left behind in a good way, the people that believe in Yeshua, the believers. That's really the enduring things. Because when you read this, there's a lot of theological stuff in there that people can get into. And, you know, we talk about what does it mean to... Uh, um, the builder will suffer, will suffer loss and the builder will be saved, but only through fire and all this kind of stuff. And there's arguments about, is that purgatory and all these kind of things? No, we're going to leave that right there. The idea is the things that are enduring are the people. And these are believers. That the, uh, that's the enduring work that ultimately we're, we're trying to build. So these things we've talked about today, being people who give honor and credit to God, people who build on the foundation of the Messiah, um, when we talk about building, you talk about a building project, I don't know, you, you, know, you think about me, think like me, you know, I, want a, I want a to-do list, right? Um, maybe you're thinking, oh, I got my to-do list for today and so forth, and to, you have all these to-do lists, things to do. So when we talk about, okay, we want to be people to give credit and honor to God, we don't want to put you know, someone over top of another, we want to give God the full billing, and we want to be people who build on a foundation of, of the Messiah, Him crucified. These are not your typical to-do items, okay? These are to be items. And I say that because as we build, I think instead of looking at things we need to do as we build, we want to look at people that we need to be as we build. That's a more foundational issue. So in order for us to labor together at CYT and to build, let's minimize our to-do stuff. There's going to be to-do stuff, but let's try to minimize that and really realize and maximize our to-be lists, the things that we need to be, the kind of people that we need to be. And on top of our to-be to list, we should be people who exclusively give God all the recognition and honor for everything that we have in our life and in our community. Everything. It seems silly sometimes. I actually ran into uh, a friend, uh, an old friend of Jessica's family the other day, police officer, and he was just talking about just where he is in life and what he's thankful for. And just stuff that sometimes I think, wow, you know, I'm just so thankful. You know, f I have friends now. I mean, sometimes I think we just forget what really the things we had to be thankful for, you know. So we need to be people who exclusively give God all the recognition and honor for everything we have in our life. You know, we think maybe it's because of us. It's not. God, God's the one that gives the growth. We should never exalt things or people above him. And next, we should be people who have the Messiah Yeshua as the foundation upon which we build, and our only boasting should be in him. So those are my, my two kind of main points today. Or my, I think the points that Paul is making is that, you know, we need to be people that give, on, give, give God top building, and we need to be people that build on the foundation of, of the Messiah as we're building other people. And the good news is, I think that's a pretty simple message. Maybe even if I've made it convoluted or spoke too fast or confused you, the point is the message there I think is fairly simple that Paul is trying to, uh, trying to straighten out there. Um, simple thing to do, simple thing to try to make your occupation, simple thing to, to try to be, but it's difficult, right? Because Paul says in, in verse 3, when he's talking about this jealousy and quarreling, he says, you know, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? Is anybody here plan on being here tomorrow? Raise your hand. Anyone is plan on being alive? Be here? Not only here, but you know, wake up in your bed tomorrow. 
Any of those same people plan on not being in the flesh? Raise your hand if you're not here kind of thing. No, it's uh, not possible, right? So how do we deal with the flesh? Because that's, that's going to be the hindrance to this easy plan of giving God top billing and not putting things there. Because it happens immediately. I walk outside and, you know, see your Toyota. And I say, hey, you're a good Toyota. Yeah, they got a Chevy. Yeah. And it's, it happens right away, you know, on, on, on one level or another, you know. So how are we going to deal with that? Well, it's not going to be by way of the flesh alone. It's not going to be just grit and determination, and I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to be, you know, that, that old, uh, I'm, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be smarter, and people are going to like me, you know, that guy. I remember seeing that Al Franken's character many years ago. It's kind of funny. Look in the mirror and tell yourself positive affirmations about how you're going to do this and that. Well, to help us get started, I want to just borrow some words from Paul, because Paul talks about in the, in the, uh, some more words from him in a different book. In the book of Romans, I think he gives us kind of a good little start that I want to conclude with, and I, I know I'm not supposed to say I'm concluding because then you think about your to-do list, but this is, a, this is <laughs> I'm saying I'm concluding because, number one, I, I want to, James to know that I'm concluding. Number two, I want you to, to, to kind of get this little bit of, of, a, of, a, jump, of a little jump start here um, and listen to some more words of Paul on how to, to hold off on your to-do list for a minute and start on your to-be list by battling this, this flesh that we have to live in. And Paul says in Romans 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we we deal with the flesh one way for sure, by the continual renewing of our minds. And that can be step one on our to-be list as we, seek in, as we seek to build and we seek to grow together. That's the, that's the cue. <laughs> Tried. Thank you, David. The Lord reminded me of a scripture in Romans that I memorized a long time ago. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Hallelujah. Good stuff. Lord, help us to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Impossible, but not with him.